This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. Do I think he played well? I, I do. Do I think he has better than that? I do. Do I think uh, he's an elite talent? I do. For him to miss as much time and come into a big, fast, play a big, fast team like we just did and do the things he did, he's elite. You know, but he'll be the first to tell you he's got more in the tank. I mean, just your timing and everything is a little bit off for him. Um, but probably the normal person, it looked like he was, uh, you know, he, he made some plays out there that, you know, that second goal there to set up pointer, that's elite is what that is. And uh, he's you know, probably just only going to get better here when he uh, gets, you know, his legs under him. Ooh. You know, I think they were debating, Steve was, to come in with a Cooch soundbite or a Coop, but I, I think with Cooch it would have been two seconds, Dave, and that would have been yeah. it. He was back to, to regular season, <laughs> pre-cup championship press conference Cooch. I don't know what was Which more predictable. Fine. I don't know what was more predictable, Kucherov having an impact last night or, or Kucherov having short responses in the postgame. His short responses, though, were in very nicely formed sentences. I mean, I still remember when he first came to the Lightning and there was a language barrier. And just hearing him talk, his his conversational English is so far beyond where it was, which I yeah. guess is to be expected. He's been here for, you know, what, eight years now. Right. Since 2013 when he joined the Lightning. I always and been give, in North America before that. Yeah. But. I always give players who come from another country like that that have to learn English. Yeah. Really a lot of a lot of praise because that's that can't be easy. It's not like they're teaching English no. in grade school in Russia. I mean, what what is the it's and I don't know how true it is, but you know, for some people that that would come over here and make a life of it, they they'd learn through soap operas. Yeah. <laughs> the English, you know, and I don't know well, how much of Sergeyev, that is true. Well, Sergachev, yeah. did an amazing job. Yeah. I mean, he basically learned it in a year, his first year in, in junior hockey. You know what that I is? I mean, he hardly has any accent. You know what that is? That's a um, that's a deep fire to succeed. There's a, a, a yearning to learn, and it's it's not with everybody. And th to me, that's, that's as impressive mm -hmm. as anything. I mean, that's a will to want to say, I'm going to master this, and I'm going to be really good at it. And yeah. there's something to be said for that. You know, obviously these athletes have a lot of drive. That's on that's guys. a common denominator for sure. <laughs> They're yeah. definitely driven, driven in no doubt. a lot of areas. But I think there is a difference. And this isn't to say that to be Swedish, it's easier. It's just different. But, you know, a lot of Swedes are very comfortable speaking English because it's something I'm pretty certain they're taught. English is part of their grade school curriculum. Yeah. So it's very rare to see a Swedish-born player in the NHL struggle with his English. You yeah. just don't really see it. Good point. There's not like a translator there or anything like that, which you are more likely to see from some younger Russian players. Yeah, and I and wonder— sometimes older Russian players. How long did it take for Malkin to lose the translator? In Pittsburgh. It might have taken a while. And, I mean, his English has gotten a lot better. And the yeah. other thing, too, is a, a lot of times with those players that they'll often say maybe he was not misquoted, but it, it the message he was trying to portray didn't come off the way it should have because of the English barrier, because of the issues speaking. And I think for some of those guys, 
getting better with the language allows them to be maybe a bit more comfortable on the ice too. I can mm -hmm. only imagine what that's like trying to learn another language while at the same time trying to establish yourself as a professional at the NHL level. And those guys, to their credit, have done an amazing job. I've, I've often said about Nikita Kucherov, Dave, that he can, he can wake, wake up, crawl out of bed, and get two points. I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm no, I'm joking. I'm half joking, but it does really feel like when you take a look, I mean, he's a point per game guy in his career. It really shouldn't surprise us what he did last night because the passes he made were a thing of beauty. And I, I try to ask chief this, like, who does he remind you of? Because the thing about chief and Phil, they've, they've been very successful, obviously. <laughs> on the ice, but they've also played with some unbelievable players. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Chief said Brad Richards maybe comes to mind, but I mean, I, I even think more high level than that. You know, yeah. Gretzky, you know what I, you know what I think of? I think of this, Greg. It's yeah. a guy we talked about a few days ago. I'm not comparing Kucherov to Gretzky, but I think because they're different. They are yeah. different. Sure. But when we talked about, like, what made Gretzky – way beyond anything that came before really has come since it was his ability to think the game yeah and the signature play from last night was the Kucherov pass to Braden Point and that was a play yeah he had to execute it he had to he had to make sure the puck got to where he wanted it to go but beyond that it was all his understanding of the game and that's Gretzky like yes for sure. So, like, Kucherov didn't need to be strong. He didn't need to be fast. He didn't need to shoot the puck hard to make that play. But he definitely needed to have a warp-like speed understanding of what was happening and process it way faster than anybody else. Yep, I think that's fair. That's Gretzky-like. That's fair. And I think, you know, Kuch has – there's – artistry when he plays too dave i mean it's just it's it's fun it's beautiful to watch you know it's just not you know you take the pass off the end wall you you bank it off and mm -hmm. it's on somebody's stick i mean there's you can see him trying to methodically think his way through some plays again i, I don't want to overanalyze what everybody witnessed because everybody saw it with their own eyes i mean it's it's the eye test he he does things that nobody else in that league does, or at least hasn't in quite some time. And so you put this guy back in the lineup on a team who has played as well as the Lightning have had up to this point, and I think you take a step back, and, and maybe you have to do this once you see the roster the way it's currently constructed to have this type of feedback. But everything we've seen up to this point with Belmar's line we saw that on display last night with Perry and Maroon. And then we've seen the start that Stamkos has had to the year. And look, we, we just got done praising Palat and Kalorn. And then you have a couple of younger guys who are contributing at times at the NHL level. You start to look at this and say, this team doesn't, at least right now, Dave, a lot can change from now to the playoffs, doesn't appear to have missed a beat. And I think it's impressive considering who they've had to replace and the guys they were replacing them with, maybe a little bit more of an unknown. But now that we do know, 35, 36 games in, 
this team is pretty pretty comparable to what we've seen the last couple of years. Doesn't mean they're going to win the cup, but there aren't many holes. And now you throw this Kucherov factor back in, and it's like, wow. I mean, this is this is a really tough team to defend, and maybe the one area where there were more ups and downs than you would like the power play you figure is just going to be better with him on it now being a threat yeah the power play looked way different didn't it way different way different and of course they've added point recently back to that first power play unit as well so I agree with everything that you're saying. And we'll see if, I mean, sometimes that first game back, as amazing as it was to see him execute those plays and beyond the two assists, I mean, he could have had other points. He had some good looks shooting the puck. He had other setup plays where guys he got the puck to weren't able to finish. But sometimes that first game back is a little bit adrenaline-fueled or anticipation-fueled. We saw that from point. In his first game back after he missed whatever it was, 14 games with his injury. But there's no question, even if even if Kucherov isn't delivering the sorts of assists tomorrow that we saw last night, having him back is going to be a huge boost to the Lightning's game, not the least of which is going to be felt on the power play. But I actually want to start when we look at last night's game, not about the offense, but about the defense. And I'm not talking about the position defense. I'm talking about the Lightning's team defense. Because to the extent that we have talked about after some games, the Lightning struggled here, or maybe they weren't on top of their game in in this particular instance. It's usually about, like, did they have turnovers, scoring chances against? Did they have to lean too much on the goaltending? And when they are really on their game, you see them deliver outstanding defensive performances. I thought last night was one of those. And I will acknowledge what Derek Wills told us on Power Lunch yesterday, talking about the Flames, that you know they do still need some secondary scoring. But the top line, he said, in his opinion, is one of the best in the NHL. And it's hard to argue with that based on their point totals this year. And they've been doing most of their damage on the road. The Flames as a team and also that top line. I mean, Johnny Gaudreau had an 11-game road point streak that came to an end last night. So Andrew Mangiapane, who's one of their depth guys, has 17 of his 18 goals on the road. (laughs) So they've been a really good road team. And the Lightning just shut down that line. That line had nothing going the whole game. Matthew Kachuk had three of his five shots on the power play. And those all came in the third period when the Flames had had two power plays in the third period. So he had two shots five on five. Lindholm had one shot five on five. And Gaudreau had zero. So five on five going up against this, this line in which... Lindholm entered the game leading the NHL in plus minus, and Gaudreau was not far behind him. They completely suffocated that trio and held them to three shots on net, five on five. That was like an A-plus defensive performance. Was and, it, and they weren't taking on it. I don't mean any disrespect to the Blue Jackets, but the Blue Jackets are in a different stage than the Flames, and they were missing Wierenski, too in the game on Tuesday. 
this is a team that is is well on its way, I think, to making the playoffs. Well coached, really good goaltending, one of the top defensive teams in the league, and a powerhouse top line. And the Lightning just flexed their muscle and, and dominated the game. They did. And they got a lot of contributions again from everybody up and down that lineup. And, you know, I was – Kucherov's point – or past the point, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a, a, a that type of pass that's better in the NHL. I will say this. That Belmar pass to Corey Perry, looking yeah. back on it, Dave – how far he had to go to get that puck over and where it ended up eventually landing right on his stick in stride. In addition to freezing the goaltender with the fake shot, that might have been the most impressive play of the night for me just based off of Belmar coming down the left side, the fake slap shot, freezing the goaltender, then hitting Perry cross ice in stride. The level of skill involved in that pass is something I, I had not seen from Belmar this year. And, you know, look, not to say we saw that exact pass that Kucherov had to point, but we have seen similar passes, and maybe we take that for granted. I, I don't know. But I don't know how you felt about that particular play. But, again, we talk about this this depth scoring. We asked the question today, Dave, on our show Twitter page, at Bolts Radio. And, again, you, you have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt, understanding that the Ani Gord line had two years to work with, essentially. Maybe not a full two years. But they won two cups together, that third line of Coleman, Goodrow, and Gord. And a lot of people would say, well, we think that's the best third line in hockey. Or, Greg, I don't, I don't even know if that's a third line. You know, maybe on this team it's a third line because of how deep they are. But in some other teams that would be a first line or a second line. How, however you want to describe it, that's fine. But I, we asked the question, I mean, 35, 36 games in, Dave, I mean, can you look at what that line is doing and say it's it's as good as the Gord line? And I know they do different things, and maybe they go about it differently. But do you think it's a situation where you can look at it, Remove some of that emotion from what the Gord line did two years ago and how attached people were to that line. And then take a look at Belmar, Perry, and Maroon and say, yeah, it is different. They go about it differently. But honestly, I mean, you take that first month away from Corey Perry and the guys on pace for over 20 goals this year, Belmar and Maroon, we've talked about this before, they add a different element than maybe guys like Coleman and Goodrow, but... Can you make the case they're just as effective? I'm not sure we thought that was going to be the case heading into the season. And I, I just think it's it's been an interesting comparison this early in the season to take a look at both of those lines and say, yeah, you know what? Push comes to shove. You're probably getting the same type of production. So from a production standpoint, you may have a point there. I think there is a distinction, though, in how the line is used defensively. I think Joe had an article out in advance of Coleman's return about the challenge of replacing the Yanni Gord line. And one of the things the Gord line did, and, and they were used this way, was matching up against the other team's top players. Now, I'm trying to remember, I'm not sure that they did it 
exclusively. Like, they didn't only use Gord's line. Sometimes they couldn't get a matchup. But, you know, when Barzell went out in the playoffs, Gord's line was out there. When Barkov was out in the playoffs, Gord's line was out there. And I don't know that they are using Belmar's line quite that same way. In fact, last night, points line matched up against the Lindholm line and and pretty decisively won that battle. May not have been shift in, shift out, but I remember there were a lot of face-offs between Point and Lindholm. Belmar's line saw Backlund's line because I thought it was interesting that Coleman, who was on Backlund's line, was lining up against uh, three forwards. He had only played with one of them because he wasn't a teammate of Belmar or Perry last year. So... That is one thing to keep in mind that, you know, when we talk about all the things that Gord, Coleman, and Goodrow provided for the Lightning, it wasn't just their ability to drive play and produce and be reliable. Like, they were leaned on defensively a lot. And of the three guys, Perry, Maroon, and Belmar, Belmar is the only one who's killing penalties. Whereas all of the other guys on the line last year all killed penalties. So, I guess the thing to keep in mind is the Lightning are just going to have to find a different way this year. Coop has said that. He's like, I'd love to have that line back, but I don't. So, we got to find another way. And maybe it's it's a combination of, of using different lines to try and accomplish all the different things that the Gord line brought to the Lightning. But if you were going to ask me about like point production and chemistry and being a a pain in the rear end for the other team when they get the puck deep into the offensive zone Belmar Perry and Maroon have been outstanding this year and they're getting rewarded regularly I think it's a good point on your end about the defensive part no question that is something that Gordline did a lot of and they were very effective for sure and and that is right I, I don't know if they're going to ask the Belmar line to do that Game but they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't ask any other line to do exactly what Gord's line did do. That's why we make such a big deal about this line, right? That's why Derek Wills was saying from the outside looking in, he's like, I viewed that as the best third line in, in hockey the last couple of years. That's hard to replace, and you may yeah. not be able to replace it. No so doubt. you gotta go about it a different way. And they found this line of Belmar, Perry, and Maroon that has been really valuable. Again, really valuable. You're right. And and I'm going to go back to this with Corey Perry. We, we've seen this over the last couple of years. I think this guy, I mean, it's pretty clear, Dave. He's got a lot more left in the tank than people thought. And I, I don't think he's going to be a 30-goal scorer anymore. Maybe he will. Don't know. But I'm not sure we thought this was going to be Corey Perry either. I mean, he's producing offensively at a pretty good clip. And whatever you felt about Corey Perry before this year, probably your opinion has changed of him in a very positive way. And as I said before, I think he's not only the production he's providing, I think the fact that Pat Maroon has taken a couple of steps in his play this year, I think is a direct result to Corey Perry being on this roster. And mm-hmm. that is the makings of a, of a player. You talk about leadership, great players, however you want to describe it. That's all part of the equation and the attributes that Corey Perry has. So that that was fun to watch. That pass that Belmar made was was fantastic. Yes. We are getting some questions, you know, about Cooch and his play. But, Dave, I thought you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, sometimes 36 games in, 
a lot of these games run together. You know, maybe the Lightning don't play particularly well for 30 minutes out of a, a full 60, and, and maybe they win a game in a shootout, and you, you remember bits and pieces of the game, but you don't remember everything. This game stood out from the standpoint it, it felt like this is one of their better wins of the year. Yeah. Against a pretty good opponent. And when I say better wins, from from start to finish, you're gonna as you know, I believe this, and people may disagree, I, I think every team is going to have some dips in their play in a game. I think the other team, no matter how bad they could be, are going to have a pushback at some point in a game. So I think you're not going to play a great 60 minutes every game. It's just not going to happen. But I thought the Lightning, for the most part, like if you bottled up and said, this is how I want my team to play, and, and on most nights I think they're going to win, I think you saw that last night against the Calgary Flames. I agree. I, I think it was one of their most impressive wins of the year. Now, maybe, yes. they were, maybe they were buoyed by Kucherov's return. I mean, that's certainly possible, and, and it got everyone really excited. But they handled the details of the game really well. I mean, you can just look at – this is one of the games where the stats do tell the story, in my opinion. Shot attempts through two periods were 52-25 lightning. They held the Flames to 13 shots on goal through two periods. And like you talk about a full 60, really the Flames did their best work in terms of generating looks when they were already down by multiple goals. They had a couple on the power play that that immediately preceded goals three and four by the Lightning. At that point, it was 2-0. Yeah. And then that penalty ended, and the Lightning scored two quick goals to make it 4 nothing. And then from that point onward, the Flames had more pressure. Correct. But the game was essentially over at that point. I mean, it wasn't over. We've seen the Lightning still needed to play the final 10 minutes and make sure that they didn't let Calgary back into the game, which they didn't. Dubé's goal made it 4-1. That was the final shot the Flames had. So once that puck went in, the Lightning were like, okay, that's it, no more. And they they locked it down the rest of the way. Prior to that, though, I think I looked it up in writing my column, starting with the power play that that came after the Kalorn goal, which we can get into how the Lightning ended up being shorthanded after they scored a goal. But beginning with, with that power play for the Flames, they had eight shots of their 14 in the third period. So eight of their 14 third period shots came after it was 4 nothing, which tells you how little they had going Yes. Up until the point that it was 4 nothing, That's on the Lightning. It's not like the Flames weren't trying hard. You could even see in the first period, Greg, how good Lindholm, Kachuk, and Gaudreau are in moving the puck quickly. Because they were zipping it around the offensive zone, but the Lightning just hung in there. They didn't, they didn't allow quick puck movement to yield good looks, as yep. opposed to what Kucherov was doing the whole night. Because the puck came down the other end, it was almost like the Harlem Globetrotters on ice. Point, Pilat, and Kucherov were dazzling all night, the way they were moving the puck. And there were so many close calls the Lightning had before the third period with those three guys out on the ice. Perhaps maybe the best way to sum up how well the Lightning played, Dave, in addition to the analysis we just gave, uh, this came from Eric Francis's Twitter page. He covers the Flames for Sportsnet. Steve showed me this tweet yesterday during the, the postgame show. 
He said, quote, this is coming from Daryl Sutter last night, quote, nothing wrong with how we played. We just played a better team, end quote. Sometimes the, the simple analysis is the best, and I think he's right. I, and I think it speaks to what you just said. I mean, I think Calgary played a pretty good game. Yeah. I mean, Vlad- Vladar was pretty good. <laughs> I mean, especially no, he the was, first two he periods. Was good. And he also, was look, I mean, that's that's a very straightforward response, which Daryl Sutter is nothing if not plain spoken. We've heard enough press conferences from him over the You're years. You're suggesting he's not Shakespeare? <laughs> <laughs> well, he makes a point as clearly as Shakespeare he did, does. I think. He does. He just uses far fewer words, and he he's does. not doing it in iambic pentameter. Thank goodness. <laughs> I'm getting a headache now that you said that, by the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I was able to say that without yes, good for you. tripping over myself. It's all right. But look, the Lightning are capable of playing much worse, too. Yeah, for sure. So it wasn't just that you know they lost to a better team. They lost to a team, and I'm using his words, but they lost to a team that played at a very high standard. Yep. Last night. They did. That, to me, is the distinction. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing, too, is we have to factor in. And I think some teams are going to experience this, or if they haven't already, where you've got a star player who is out for an extended period of time, whether it be COVID protocol or whether it's just an injury. You get a jolt into the lineup once that player does return. And the players had talked about that. Kucherov being around the team, the spirits are lifted. And Dave, look, as we know, they, they you can call it the dog days of hockey once you get into the middle of the season. But then to get a guy like Kucherov back midway through the season for the most part, that lifts the spirits of everybody on that roster. Yeah. And I think that's another jolt that can get this team that the team can use to their advantage as they continue to march through the the NHL standings and pick up points. And they're the first team, what, to reach 50 points uh, so far this season. So let's not minimize that factor. Cooch coming back, it's like, again, it's it's adding basically a huge piece at the trade deadline, even though we're not there. I mean, basically right. played the entire season without him. Then to get him back, people are like, whoa. Wait a minute. It's even it's even more impactful than getting a big piece of the trade deadline because a new player coming in is going to have some sort of an acclimation period. Good point. Usually. Good point. Cooch doesn't have that. No, it's a great He's point. He's returning to his existing team. It's a fantastic point. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. We've got some questions coming in. I, I want to. Let me just say one. one more thing yeah, about ahead, the Sutter comment. Some of Do that it. might be he is a very plain spoken coach, yeah. but he also may be telling his team. This is where we need to get. That's fair. Like this is yeah, that's fair. This is a reality check for his group, and so he's saying that. He probably said it to them too, but maybe that's I'm projecting fair. too much. No, that's that's a fair point. But that's I heard that point. quote, and I'm like, that. Yeah. That's unusual for a coach to to say something like that. So maybe he's also trying to send a message to his team. And I wonder too if a guy like that who. I mean, maybe I'm reading the room wrong, and I, I don't know if Daryl Sutter's really concerned about narratives or losing his job. I mean, I, th- I think he's pretty comfortable in his own skin. I agree. And I think he can say whatever basically he wants, and I think he commands a, a certain amount of respect for what he's done in the league. Yeah. And I think players understand, okay, this is what he said, and we'll take that however we want. But it seems like Daryl Sutter's a pretty no-nonsense guy, and I think at least players can appreciate the honesty. Uh, bust a beak. Yeah, let's get to the question. He asks, and th- I, this was a good one because I don't think we got a definitive replay on this, Dave. 
I did read Johnny Gaudreau's lips a bit, and I'm curious what you think. He says, any insight into what Gaudreau said or did to anger Stammer? He was pretty hot. Don't see that every night. Yes, I have the answer. Oh, tell us. <laughs> I tell did us. a little I did a little research this morning. My research was looking at the the replay of the goal. Good. Because the problem was that the camera was was following Kalorn. Yes. And so we didn't really see at first we didn't even know like what happened. Was it Anderson? Was it was it Gaudreau? Who started it? So if you go back and and watch the goal, and it didn't it wasn't a long highlight because the Cologne goal came 14 seconds after the plot goal. Can you watch this on the Lightning website? Yeah, like okay, if you go right. if you go to the, I go to the NHL's media site, but you can go on the NHL's regular site. Gotcha. Watch a highlight of the goal. So they start basically at the faceoff, and the Flames have the puck and they move it into the Lightning end. And I watched this a couple of times to to see what happened because as soon as Cologne scores. Gaudreau like points his glove towards Stamco. So I'm like, what on earth happened? So when the Flames bring it into the Lightning D zone, yes. Gaudreau is trying to skate to the middle of the ice and Stamco slows him up a call with a bit of a hook. Gotcha. The puck gets turned over because McDonough taps it away and Kalorn gets it, and Stamkos turns. And starts skating out of the zone. And Gaudreau gives him the identical same little hook. Neither was called. That's what he was upset about. To me, that's uh, we just gave up a fourth goal and I'm ticked off. So I'm you ticked off that I got, a, I got a little hook. There was no penalty. I'm seeing that and right I, now. And I took a minus here. I, you know what? I, I actually am seeing that right now because... Actually, when Stammer does, and you know, I, I guess that's 50-50. Sometimes that's called. But he's, but I understand I mean, I that, Greg. But, yeah. like, the puck isn't there. No, no. I, so I, I think it's unlikely. Listen, and, you know, I'm not disagreeing Gaudreau with you. gave it as good as he got. Yeah, so yeah. did was Stamkos completely innocent? No. But was it, like, a flagrant hook that, uh, that negated a scoring chance? No. Absolutely not. For sure. But you know what he did? He got position where he was able to beat Gaudreau down the ice. And that's where Gaudreau, I think, was ticked off. Now, I don't know if that was Gaudreau's man because the, the Flames, I'm looking at it right now, still had three guys back. It wasn't yeah. like there was a huge breakdown. But Stamkos definitely was able to gain some momentum heading down the ice. And yes, Gaudreau was mad, and, and I'm glad you were able to point that out because I... I thought reading Gaudreau's lips, he was saying it wasn't me, and maybe that you know there was Stamkos was upset about something else that had happened. And well, maybe it was that's Gaudreau. possible. You but know? Gaudreau's reaction as soon as the puck goes in Absolutely. is to point to Stamkos yes. like, "Hey, yes. this guy hooked me <laughs> down the right. ice. Yes, and didn't call anything, yes. and I'm going to take matters into my own hands." That's yes. how I read it. Now the interesting, but I'm like, that's a pretty weak argument. Counselor. Well, <laughs> you the know? other thing too is you. Yeah, you got hooked a little bit, but you also hooked him. And it had no bearing on the play. What's your beef with Stamkos outside of the fact that the referees didn't call it? Like, I would be harping at the official. Gaudreau goes straight to Stamkos. Now, I think he was ticked off. Again, I'm looking at it while we're talking. I think he was ticked off, too. Stamkos' stick gets to Gaudreau's stick and lifts it up. And I don't know if it hits Gaudreau a little bit in the face. And then he gives On the Stam original. Yes. On back the original. in the Tampa Bay. Yeah. Yes. And then he gave Stamkos yeah. a nice whack, which could have been called, by the way, that wasn't. I mean, look, I... I'm not going to nitpick uh, officiating on that because the officials, I think, miss a lot of things. But uh, there is no question, Dave, Stamkos was hot. <laughs> and that continued in the penalty box. I mean, he was standing up and Gaudreau because was sitting you down. You shouldn't have to answer for some sort of 
or you shouldn't have to deal with an altercation after your team just scored a goal. I mean, this was not Dale Hunter and 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 Terjean. I was going to okay? say, I was like, say, I just want to make disagree. that clear. <laughs> but nonetheless, yes, Stamkos yes. is not expecting that someone is going to come skating toward him after the puck yes. goes in the net. Even even if the guy is five foot four, right? And it wasn't just him. Anderson was there too, yes. and then Kachuk came barreling in. Yes. So Busta, I hope. We were able to. That's some clarification. Some there may yeah. be more to it, but based on the highlight, I don't think Johnny Gaudreau was upset about something that might have happened like five minutes earlier. It had to be in that moment. It's like we were hanging in there, hanging in there, hanging in there. The the luck of of the posts and and our goalie making yes. great saves, and and we're only down one. Okay, now it's two, and then it boom boom three four, and you feel like a penalty should have been called. I can see frustration. Yeah, you know what? And, and looking at it one last time, too, the the ref was right where Stamkos was. So Goodrow was, I think, yelling at the ref, and I think Stamkos happened to be obviously circling that way as he was skating by, and I, I think that's where the collision happened. And uh, it's easy to see how that that developed. All right, partner. Well, that was good. Good eyes on your part for going back and looking at that. And by the way, you did a little boom boom. I thought that was John Madden. I was. Well, thank you for comparing. That was, I, it was a very to, good to boom him. boom, which I, yeah. I, I just watched his documentary on ESPN Plus, the station that Andre Vasilevsky does not get, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was pretty good. Uh, I was I was actually chuckling. Um, at Florida Citizen says Corey Perry, his pedigree is way better than anyone on Gord's line. Yeah, I, well, I mean, for sure, when you take a look at what he's accomplished, I mean, if that's what you're asking, yes. Well, is it a slam dunk that Corey Perry's going to get into the Hall of Fame? No, it's not. No, it's he's not. close to 400 goals now. It's not. I think Corey Perry's going to be a borderline Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think he'll be in that Joe Pavelski. But the fact that we can say that, ask that question, I don't know. I mean, look, hopefully for Goodrow, Coleman, and Gord, they have a lot of hockey still in front of them. And yeah, no doubt. Who the heck knows? No doubt. But I'm not going to argue with with the point that the fan made. Well, that it kind of goes back because I don't to, think the three guys on the Gord line, no, not at this point anyway, would be in that conversation. No, I mean Goodrow is what he is. Coleman and Gord have an opportunity to give you a little bit more upside offensively. I don't think any of them are going to approach 400 goals in their career. I mean, don't forget Blake Coleman's close to 30. So is Gord. I mean, but Gord the Perry, line, the line was also. I mean, I. I'm comfortable saying this. The line was greater than the sum of its parts. Oh, for sure. There's no doubt. And that's what this line is turning into as well. Although, if you compare the two, neither one had a player like Corey Perry on it. And I think that's, to me, that's, it's kind of the point I was making with Pat Maroon, why I think he's playing so well. The Corey Perry dynamic of having a player like that on your line, Pat Maroon doesn't get a chance to play with somebody like that, Dave. Mm -hmm. He just doesn't. He's a fourth-line guy for the most part in this league outside of a couple of instances in his career, maybe where he was playing top six minutes. But you're playing with Corey Perry, who we just identified has more left in the tank than many people thought. This is a guy that maybe when it's all said and done is going to hit 450 career goals. I mean, he's approaching 400, correct? I mean, he's, yeah, he's almost there. Yeah, he's 396. So he's... He's going to get there this year. And then just the question becomes, how long does he want to play? Could he get to 500? Maybe. And I think 500 is kind of that magic number still for goal scorers. I think you hit that 500 mark. It's kind of hard to argue you not being a Hall of Famer. Like Patrick yeah, Marlowe does he have be a 104 Hall of goals left in right. him. Right. And that's the question. Based off of what we're seeing, 
He may. We'll take yeah. a break. We'll come back. We'll get some more of your questions. You got a lot coming in. We appreciate that. At Bolts Radio here on a Friday. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Lanelli. Lightning gets set to take on the Bruins tomorrow night. That's always fun. We'll talk about Boston a little bit as well. What do you make of the Belmar line comparing it to the Gord line? Is it just as good? Kucherov comes back. It's a couple of points. Are you surprised by that performance? And we'll get into some other topics as well. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. How hard was it to kind of have to sit out the past few uh, months here? And then how did you feel out there on the ice tonight? Um, it was hard. felt good. Nikita, it looked like when you were making the two assist pass that it was just no look that you really just felt that those, those people were there. And is that the case? No, I saw them. Yeah, I looked. They were open. Nikita, we know how much you obviously love the game. Just what were your emotions, you know, finally being back, considering how much time you missed? It was uh, it was nice to be back, that's for sure. Nikita, how much did you miss the ice, you know, being away for three months or being with your teammates and everything? Uh, I was skating. Uh, I was I was with my teammates. You know, I didn't I didn't go anywhere. I was I was here all the time. So, you know, it definitely was nice to be back. Having been through this last year. Does it make it easier or more difficult no. to have to? Yeah, it's never easy. It's getting it's getting tough. Tougher and tougher. When you got hurt initially, did you think it'd be that long? Were you kind of did you know right away it might be that long thing? Or are you? I'm not a doctor, so you know, I obviously when it happened, I didn't know. Uh, I'm not a doctor. That's for sure. <laughs> he uh, he took a page out of the Daryl Sutter playbook there. So what do you short and sweet? But wasn't he very conversational? You can just listen to that, and that's not a guy who is struggling with his English. No, anymore. No. And you want well, look, uh, people have athletes have their own reasons as to why maybe they're open with the media and maybe why they're not. And I think the Tampa media has covered him long enough where. You're not shocked by those responses. I am curious. You know, the older he gets, is he going to be a little bit more comfortable speaking longer? Or is this, is this, uh, in other words, is this just kind of part of, is this part of Kucherov's shtick as a guy too? That, <laughs> listen, he, we know he can speak longer than that. You no, he can guys. speak longer than yeah, that. Yeah, and I, I'm just wondering now, is it, has this just become part of the act where look i i know i can speak longer guys but i i've got kind of this this reputation as as somebody who's going to give really short answers and and that's not going to change like i'm wondering if that's and he he's the only guy that can answer that dave i'm just i'm asking it out loud to our audience and you is this something that he gets a little bit older you know he'll he'll open up maybe a little bit more and and never speak like steven stamkos does to the media where you know, Stammer can go on a little bit and give you some pretty good insight. Does that change at all with Kucherov, or is this just going to be part of him till the day he's done playing? So, I don't envy the reporters that were having to ask those questions, and we heard different questions from a lot of different reporters, and they basically got the same short answers. I mean, there was information contained in them. It's not like he just didn't answer the questions. He just gave the bare minimum of an answer. And I think part of that is 
the questions that were asked. And that's why I said I don't envy the reporters because they had to ask those questions. I think Cooch is more likely to be expansive to different sorts of questions. When he's asked to like look at his own game, I don't think that he's going to tell you much. I'm yeah, talking about Vasilevsky, fair. though. Mm-hmm. I think he'll talk a lot longer if you ask him to talk about Vasilevsky. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I mean, too, like, is and we've heard him talk about Vasilevsky that way. Yeah, sometimes sure. in an alcohol-induced, <laughs> yes. yeah. you know. A state, yes. Yes, state. Thank well, you very I, much. I, I wonder, too, like. And like, what, is, is he, what does he love about watching Ovechkin, who just set the power play goal record? I could see him giving a longer answer to a question like that. Yeah, and I wonder, too, how much does Zoom factor into this, too? You know, or maybe you, yeah. you get him opened up a little bit more if it's just one on one or, you know, a couple of reporters there. I don't know. Look, I, and part of me says I, I really don't care. Um, I, I think a lot of us just want to see what you do on the ice and then what you say afterwards. If it's really good, it it's it makes it a little bit more intriguing. And, and look, the fact that he's so short, too, we're talking about it. Yeah, so it's something that also I think is, is it, let's put it this way. It's definitely part of Nikita Kucherov's persona. And I think it's it's interesting. And, um, you know, quite frankly, I if I'm the lightning, I, I throw him out there a little bit more to the media because I think it's I don't want to say it's John Tortorella must watch as we heard Aaron Portslot talk about it right. with the uh, the post game when he was covering the team or when when Torts was coaching the team. But I, I think a lot of people would probably tune in and, and say, OK, that's this is Kucherov. I want to see how short he's going to be. So you know, it was a little bit short last night, which is interesting because his team played so well it was Coop. Coop was asked about Kucherov. Joe asked him the question, and twice he said, "Is there a question in there?" I don't know yeah. what the question is. And and look, Cooper knows. <laughs> yeah, Coop, so. By the way, Cooper knows what the question is. He just like I think he likes to. If he's annoyed, I by mean, the question, technically, did Joe actually frame it in the form of a question? Yeah, but let's he, face it, John he might Cooper's not have. He guy. might not have earned any bonus points on Jeopardy. I know. Look, that may but, be that may be true. <laughs> that may be true. And listen, nobody asks better questions than me and you. So we we are very (laughs) critical of questions. But John Cooper is a very smart guy. I think he gets it. Like he understands how the game is played. If a media member is is kind of asking a question and it's not really in a question form, I think Coop also likes to bust bust some makes you makes you work for it a little bit. I think he busts a beak himself. He does bust a little bit. For sure. Uh, Lucas says, pretty sure after the goal at the end, there's a second of replay where Johnny gave Stammer a little rib check, cross check. I think that was the boil over point. And I think that's something that uh, missed you were kind yeah, of. Yeah, I didn't actually to. see that because I didn't see any yeah. replay of that. But I did see what happened at the start of the play. Lucas also says, Kucherov is so good, he somehow still surprises his line mates. Point had so much time on that shot pass fake out on goal two. He had enough time to settle the puck down, make a cup of tea, read Michigan's recap on the Columbus game, <laughs> and still scored a tap-in goal. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, that's pretty uh, Michigan clever. Recap. I, I like don't that. think Point is surprised, though. No. Was that how he started that? I'm not sure his line mates are surprised. They played yes. with him long enough to be ready. They have to be ready at all times. His first shift, I think, came at 1835. 18 minutes and 35 seconds. That that was the, the actual time on the the jumbotron and i thought he had a couple of shots that missed the net where you could attribute yeah. that to being a little rusty 
But for the most part, I mean, I thought he was he was pretty spot on. I, I'm pretty convinced at this point, and look, you're talking about a 40-goal score, Dave, so the, the shot is elite. The passing and vision is elite. I actually think at this point, I think Kucherov might be a better passer than finisher, and and I understanding he is elite at both. I actually, I think, and not that I say he'd rather pass than than shoot. I think there's something to his game and his creativity that he may take greater enjoyment of setting up the goal than finishing it. And look, as long as they score, I'm not sure he cares. But I, I it's more of a compliment that what a passer he is than anything else because he is, as I said, a 40-goal scorer in this league. He is an elite finisher, too. I just think he's... I don't know if there's a better passer in the game today. And I say that knowing that, you know, Sidney Crosby still plays. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, Bergeron still out there. Name some good passers. You know, Barkov's an elite passer. Yeah. There's some really good passers out there. I mean, I, I don't... I, I think Kucherov is probably at the top of the list there. Yeah, you may you may have a pretty good argument there. I mean, he's certainly among the best. Yeah, for sure. And it's no hard doubt. to think of somebody who is better than him. Yeah, no doubt. No I doubt. don't know if there's there's somebody that I'm just not thinking of right now who's who's on par with it. With the level at which he... he yeah, I don't think there's on. anybody at the level right now. I mean, I, I look... Not Voracek with his 22 assists and one goal? He's fantastic. And he just played <laughs> his 1,000th career game, too. Yes, congratulations to him. Good for him. Sneaky, sneaky good career that guy's had. Yeah, I wasn't very I wasn't productive. being serious. No, I know you weren't. I know you weren't. Internet explodes. You know, it's it's funny like because I, I think most people, you know, they will look at Connor McDavid, Dave, and they will say that's the best player in the game. It's hard to really argue with it. See, take a look at the points he's been putting up. He's been dominant since he's really entered the league. I acknowledge all of that. If he's number one, I, I think you could make the strong case that Kucherov might be the second best offensive player on the planet. And I understand he's missed some games, and I understand there's a lot that goes into this because, again, you're still dealing with, look, Ovechkin's having the year he's having. He's still a threat. Steven Stamkos is having the year he's having. Braden Point, we forget. You take a look at what he's done since coming back. He's had five goals. He's he's putting up points. I think you know Point is in this conversation of best forwards in the game. You know when you talk about start to finish, offense, defense. I think he's he's in that. He's in that conversation. But in terms of just offense, I mean, Connor McDavid, most people will acknowledge, and I think a lot of that is media-driven, but obviously he's a very productive player. Dreisaitl is up there, of course. I don't... Not not enough attention has been given, I think, to Kucherov and being in that conversation. You and I see it, and Steve sees it. We see it every night. But as I said before, I keep going back to what I've said. The guy can crawl out of bed, and it feels like he gets two points. And I think the league would do itself a little bit more justice if it focused a bit more on a player like that. Because I, I still think he's a little bit underrated around the league in terms of the fan bases out there. And he shouldn't be. Because he is, next to Conor McDavid, in my opinion, at this moment, he may be the second most impactful offensive player in the league. It's a hard thing to 
to kind of quantify in black and white. No doubt. Because let's use like the 100 meter dash as a comparison. Like that's pretty straightforward. When when Usain Bolt was winning gold medals in these in these short distance road races, there was very little argument that he was the fastest, right? Yes, yes. Hockey and and maybe some other sports too, probably a lot of other sports. You know, players can be can be talented, but their talent shines in in different ways. So that Kucherov, Crosby, McDavid, and Matthews, let's say, just to pick four guys, are all supremely talented, but they do things all a little differently. You know, the things they do exceptionally well are not necessarily all identical. So that makes it hard to just compare apples to apples. I mean, you can compare apples to apples in terms of their point production, I guess. But, you know, Cooch doesn't have the flat-out speed of McDavid. But to your point, I'm not sure if McDavid has... I don't think he has his the, vision. The, the passing no. acumen, if that's the right way of putting it, of Cooch. So which one is then, quote-unquote, the best? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Well, every time I bring that up, I feel like, and I'll hint at it with national media members, they, it's just a slam dunk for them. It's McDavid. And, I, look, I understand that. Like, McDavid, you watch what he does on the ice, and I think you're right, Dave. To me, it's the speed and obviously the finish he has. But Cooch can finish, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's my speed, point. Because there are a lot of fast guys in the NHL. Sure. what he can do at top speed. There, there's no which question. Which makes him... Unique. And let's and, face and, it, too. And really nobody else can. Maybe Point is the other guy that's as close to that that I can think of. Who that's can great, operate at top point. speed with the puck and his stick and just turn turn the opposition into a pretzel. It's a really good point. I think that's I think that's what it is. And I think also, too, the hype that came with Connor McDavid. I mean, let's face it, more so than Nikita Kucherov to this day. But I I, I guess what I'm saying is, this this talk that McDavid is head and shoulders better than everybody else offensively, maybe that's true, and maybe it's because we don't see McDavid live in person all the time, but I can use that same argument for the people that don't see Kucherov game in and game out. I mean, they're, they're a little bit closer than people think. The gap is not as wide. It doesn't mean every executive wouldn't take Connor McDavid over Nikita Kucherov to build a team. I bet you most teams would. I'm starting to say I think there needs to be a conversation in the media that says, all right, do we have to rethink of where we, maybe we put Kucherov? And look, at the end of the day, Dave, you could say, well, Greg, what's the point? Who cares? I mean, you, it, let's focus on Tampa Bay. Understand. But when you win and you put up points and you see performances like this, mm -hmm. you just want that player to be properly acknowledged around the league for his skill sets. And maybe I'm too much in a bubble. I think that the league acknowledges – how incredible he is. But Perhaps. Maybe Perhaps. maybe I'm in a bubble. Maybe no. Listen, I guess if I were in a bubble, bubble, I wouldn't I wouldn't feel that way. But I, I kind of I don't know. I, I think the league understands that he is a tremendous talent. You used the word bubble and I got a little I know. Sorry. There. I got a little anxious there. I need to find a I need to find a synonym for that. That's all right. Um 
lightning take on the Bruins this weekend. Let's touch on Boston a bit mm-hmm. because they're a they team. They have a lot that, of games to make. Yeah, up. and I, I. But you mentioned you brought up a good point where I think might have been talking about this either on there or off there. That just it all runs together. Last night, they've done a pretty good job of at least the games they have played. Dave winning yeah. them, and they are in a playoff spot now. Albeit it's the last wild card, and they're behind Pittsburgh, who has won. But forget 10 about in a that. row. Yeah, Forget yeah. about that for a second because, I mean, if you really want to look at, at something that's going to even it out, look at points percentage or look at our 12-point and 10-game metric, which yeah. will kind of give you an idea where the Bruins are at. They're in pretty good shape, but they're going to have a lot of games to play in theoretically a more condensed schedule. Yes. They might be among the fewest in the league. While you talk, I'm going to look that up real quick. <laughs> Well, and they've got an interesting decision to make, too. You know, DeBrusque, what are they going to do with him? And They're then at 30 two, games. Yeah. And then two Ottawa is at 29, and Dallas is also at 30. There's no other team with fewer. Sorry, Islanders are at 28. No, they you're they fine. are. Oh, boy, that is a tough one. Not to get off the Bruins, but the Islanders have had a horrible year. And they're going to be swimming upstream. And then they're going to be playing all these games and traveling all over North America. I don't think the Islanders make the playoffs this year, Dave. I, I mean, if that, they maybe do, that's stating it will the obvious. Be, it will be remarkable. So yeah. the Bruins are among the teams that have played the fewest number of games. And they've only played now 14 road games. So not many more at home. But anyway. I, it'll be interesting to see how the Tuka Rask dynamic plays out because he's, what, conditioning now down in the AHL. Although yeah. it looks like there has been a COVID outbreak at their AHL affiliate and i think they've had some games canceled there so i mean that's the other thing too like the minor leagues these guys haven't played at all um you know at least certain ones like syracuse so i I, interesting to see how that dynamic unfolds but you know they've got debrusque they've got rask maybe well debrusque is on the covid list and mcavoy had an injury that kept him out of the game last night they lost to minnesota but it sounds like he's going to be okay or they were hoping it'd be okay to play yeah tomorrow so like just to if we want to try and compare the points so the Bruins you're right are in the second wild card Pittsburgh is in really well they won 10 in a row so they're the first wild card so they are way ahead of the Bruins but the teams around the Bruins points wise like the Wings have played four more games than Boston Mm -hmm. the Devils have played five more games than Boston they're three points back so the Bruins kind of have their fate in their own hands here if they can they don't even need to go on a tear they just need to kind of to use Coop's expression, munch some points here when they start making up these games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm just reading up here a little bit. Rask um, no longer is going to be making his rehab start in net on Friday in Providence with the game being postponed due to COVID-19 concerns around Lehigh Valley. So who knows what's going to happen with yeah. his availability moving forward. But. I think they've been happy with their goaltending, though. Swayman's been pretty good for yeah, them. Yeah, has been good. Yeah, it's been good. Vladar was part of the the Bruins goaltending tandem, right? Yeah, last year was it? Yeah, and he has had a really good year with the Flames. He's been solid. He's been solid. So good goaltending goes a long way for sure. All right, partner, that's going to wrap it up for us today. Anything else you wanted to get off your chest before we kind of sign Blake Coleman? Nice tribute for him. Very nice tribute. And uh, it was good to see him, you know, get the ring and embraced it. I wonder if it's a little hard for these guys. We've seen three different performances Goodrow clearly had the most impactful of the three yeah. guys and and the Gord return and the Coleman return they their teams did not have good games against the Lightning yes but I wonder if it's difficult for them that first game back I'm sure it is and it's not only the first 
it's it's the first game back. It's also the first game. Yeah. The first right. time they saw their former teammates, it was in Amelie Arena. No doubt. With the tribute and all all that went with that. And thank goodness there were fans in the building for a tribute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I actually had a couple media members that were like, well, I kind of agree with what the team did when we were at dinner. I'm like, what? Well, well, Couldn't they've just, know, I mean, it's not like they're not going to, oh, I guess they don't, it's, we're back to East-West. So that was the only time Edmonton well, you just wait. was scheduled to come in. Just wait. I mean, who cares? What are we talking about here? Yeah. I mean, you know, do it right. Do it right. Makes no sense. All right. Well, tomorrow's 7 o'clock game, and uh, we've got the pregame skate show at 6. I'll have the pregame at 6.30, and then the puck will drop with you and the Hall of Famer, Phil Esposito, on the call at 7. We will talk then. You got it. That is Dave Michigan. Thanks to Steve Ersnick for producing. I am Greg Linnelli. Thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. Hope you had a great week of uh, listening to us, if you were able to do that. And uh, Dave and I will do it again on Monday, noon to 1, but we'll have the game for you right here tomorrow night on Lightning Power Play.